Hey guys, welcome to another virtual episode of Hope It Helps. Today's guest took a leap of faith back in 2015 and decided to leave Dubai in order to find himself and his true calling. Throughout his experience of living in Europe, he began to really focus on his personal development, which then led him to create and co-found his company in Croatia called Hello Potential. It's a non-profit company focused on creating a community to inspire and help people upgrade their career skills by providing them with new tools, knowledge and expertise in order to take their careers to the next level. During this episode, we discuss his journey of personal development. We talk about his experience with building Hello Potential and their vision for the future and the impact gratitude and appreciation can have on the lives of others. From a young age, he had a desire to help other people and has always believed that true success in life is not an individualistic task, but a journey that must be shared with helping others as well in order to have a positive impact on the world and create a better future for all. Please welcome to the show, my good friend, Mr. Borna Kolbadi. Hey guys, welcome to Hope It Helps. So today my guest is my good friend, Borna Kolbadi. Borna, how you doing, man? I am good, man. Thanks. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Just, you know, managing with the whole quarantine situation. I know you mentioned in uh, when we were talking before in Croatia, it's not as bad as here, right? Yeah. It's uh, it's actually pretty all right here. You just can't have big groups and there's no restaurants or cafes open. Okay. Oh, it's not too bad. It's not 24-hour lockdown like we got over here. That sounds a lot better. Yeah, that is crazy, actually. Yeah, it's been intense. It's been intense, <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. So, uh, Borna, the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is that recently we've been talking, you know, back and forth. I know you co-founded a company called hello potential and it's all about you know uh, creating a community and helping people upgrade their skills and since i'm also trying to do something with uh, my podcast and you know to help people so that's kind of how we got started with the conversation but i know you grew up in dubai as well uh, so i think it'd be interesting just to walk us through why you decided to leave dubai and then how's your experience been living and working in europe um well the biggest part about uh, my move and my change was that when I was uh, living in Dubai I traveled a bunch I lived outside a couple of times for short periods and I noticed the older that I got as soon as especially after I finished college and started working was that um, the the Dubai lifestyle wasn't really um, satisfying me as a person and as a professional it was a lot of things didn't make sense to me and a lot of things were very much on the I don't want to say shallow, but on the surface. And uh, okay. I feel like this move uh, was necessary for me to find myself as a person. And uh, I think it was, you know, I just took a leap, hoping it works out. And it has so far, at least. And you've been gone now for uh, how many years now? Is it four or five years uh, since you left? Right? Yes, five years and a bit. is uh, Five years and two months, I think. That it, it is, it's going to be soon. Okay, so it's been quite a while. Uh, I saw you first went to, you were in Belgrade for a while. Is that true? You're working in Belgrade, doing um, something there? I uh, Yeah, when I, I moved actually to Croatia to do an MBA program. And uh, in the meantime, I opened a company in Belgrade. And I would just uh, drive back and forth between the two cities. And uh, I, was, I, I ran, I ran a, a trading company in, in agriculture in Belgrade for about two years, two and a half years, until I moved, okay. fully settled here in Zagreb now. Interesting. So how was, so walk me through, I guess, Bel- the whole Belgrade experience. Why did, was it a trading company that you decided to open? Maybe just give us some background on what you were doing exactly with that. Um, well, the biggest part of uh, opening a company in Serbia was that we, uh, uh, my family works in agriculture in the Middle East and especially in Iran. and. Um, we started facing a lot of issues with uh, with these sanctions, and uh, it was uh, very tough to uh, provide guarantees of payments and everything to companies in Europe, and uh, which made it harder for us to purchase products from their you know, seeds and fertilizers and everything for farmers. And uh, so I decided to set up that company to basically uh, give a helping hand to us and to a few other firms in, uh, in, in Iran that were doing you know, basic legitimate agriculture work that couldn't afford to provide the guarantees, but uh, I knew I could guarantee for them. So I basically became their 
the, the official purchaser for a lot of those companies from the European partners. And then I dealt okay. with all the export team to, to the Middle East, especially Iran. Interesting. So how, so is that company still uh, operational over there? Is someone running it now or have you decided to switch and close it down? Uh, well, the company is operational, but we hit a big snag after um, uh, Trump was elected in, in the U.S. because they, uh, the pressure became more and they started uh, closing and freezing accounts of companies that have Iranian owners or directors as well in, uh, in Europe. And so I, uh, they froze our accounts, which I couldn't any work, any work anymore. So I uh, hired someone to actually trusted someone that I don't know for long to run that company, to unfreeze the accounts. And we are not that active anymore. We're just working to finalize all the details with the tax office and the government so we can uh, initiate the closing procedures for the company. Okay. So how is it handing handing it over to someone that you didn't really know? How is it? Because uh, I'm guessing that's kind of a risk as well for you, right? Uh, well, well, yeah. It's uh, it was actually, um, um, I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of scary, but you know, at this moment, as an Iranian businessman, you don't really have many choices to deal with that. So it was scary, but thankfully, uh, the person that I that I found and I trusted uh, is a pretty trustworthy person that has always been. Uh, I've been working with him for a year now, and he has been uh, he has been great, actually, better than some people that I know for a long time. You know, he's very reliable and has been um, very helpful, well, which is uh, I'm grateful for, actually. That's awesome, man. Sometimes because doing something like that is a big risk uh, to take. So I'm really glad to hear that it turned out and is working. I guess it's working well for you as well. So um, I'm curious. So you, I know you mentioned you left Dubai because from a cultural perspective or from a work perspective, you didn't feel like it was the best place for you. So how has your experience been living and working in Europe? What do you like about uh, working in Europe? Um, first and mostly, I like the I like the hours and the, um, the fact that there is, for example, there is overtime. I haven't worked for somebody, but I've uh, the more I've gotten involved in um, in personal development of um, coaching people and uh, consulting individuals, I've noticed how there is more laws protecting employees in uh, in Europe, which is. Uh, which makes a very big difference because I know way too many people of which are my friends from back home in Dubai that are that really work far too many hours for and without any compensation and that is I think the biggest uh, difference that that I can say about the two the cultures of work. Yeah, for sure. I remember um, like when I was living in Amsterdam, one of the main things that they stressed on a lot was work-life balance. And I understand that over here, like you said, I know a lot of friends as well that they really do work a lot of overtime. That balance thing isn't really that hard of a topic or that big of a priority here. It's more about just, you know, just keep working, working. We need the numbers. We've got deadlines, so we got to keep pushing. Yeah, I mean, I... Um... I studied marketing, and what um, interested me the most was customer psychology, you know. And then I started working in some uh, events company at the start, and I worked with uh, a couple of other companies after that, including our own company. And you really see the the culture is really employees are seen not as a as part of the company structure, but as tools. For the management mm. to get numbers out of them, which is inhumane, actually. I mean, there, a lot of the treatment of of employees is uh, is pretty much unacceptable in Europe. What they do in Middle East in general. Yeah, that's true. Um, I definitely felt that as well when I was uh, in Amsterdam. 
I'm curious, how is it working uh, for the family business? Because, you know, a lot of people, especially here in Dubai, like a lot of people work with their families and stuff. So how is it going from, I guess, working from a family business to working for yourself and with, you know, other partners? Uh, um, it's, I mean, it's complicated, you know, it's uh, in one way, it's very nice yeah. because it's, um, I would say it's pretty secure when you work for family because you don't really worry, you know, if you mess up, it's not, you know, you're going to get, well, no, shouted at, and, but you're not worried too much about getting fired, I guess. And you're not too worried about, um, I don't know, being undermined because, well, you know, your, fam- your family is the people that make the decisions. But um, I think the biggest uh, struggles I had was that uh, there's a huge lack of communication and uh, um, a problem, especially because I know, for example, my older brother and my dad were both my bosses, and uh, there is a, there was a huge issue with uh, with control because uh, we were supposed to, you know, delegate as a manager, but they constantly have this urge to uh, to control every detail this micromanaging everything that is, uh, I mean, it's common outside also, but with family companies, I think because there aren't those boundaries missing, those personal boundaries, it causes a lot of issues because, you know, a lot of times you don't get treated as a professional, but more as just, uh, you know, the son or the brother. And it's, uh, it confuses a lot of the, the communication within the company for sure. But uh, working as a as a, a alone and with other partners is um, uh, is is interesting as well because it's uh, you know when I was working in Serbia for the for first year I completely worked alone and it was I really started feeling that that feeling of how it's better when you work in a company with people because you have a team that you can rely on and it really you start really appreciating all the things you hated, you know, for those teammates, oh, he's this, he does this, she does this, they're annoying, this, that. And you're like, oh, I kind of miss having a person, at least that could be annoying, but take some of the weight off my shoulders. Yeah, I can think, I imagine working alone and you have to manage everything from A to Z could Mm. be a huge, you know, stress uh, to manage yourself. Yeah, Like you said, I think you mentioned a very good point. You start appreciating all the things (laughs) that you hated. I think that's really funny. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> very true though very yeah true. it's just like being away from family you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um so walk us through hello potential so i've done some i did some research about it and the idea behind it is from what i understood it's a community to help upgrade career skills so why don't you explain what was your why did you decide to start the company and what's the vision for the company well um my uh, journey with Hello Potential started when I met the, uh, the project manager and the head of Hello Potential, Steve Tauber. And uh, he used to, well, Hello Potential before was called PMDG, which is called, uh, which is the project manager Zagreb meetups. And uh, I uh, got talking to him and uh, he told me that he wants to expand from out of uh, project management into a more um, general topic and uh while we were talking we um i I explained to him that i know i know a lot of these events when i was in dubai i'll go to all these ted talks and all these little meetups and uh, i worked in an event company that had a lot of those uh, events as well and i noticed the biggest problem that exists with those uh, organizations that have events is because there's no community you know, unless you actively want to get involved and find yourself one, nobody will come and tell you, hey, this is a community, you can join it and it'll just help you. It's, uh, and, I, and we thought uh, moving towards a direction where you have this events, but it's not just an event that you come once a month or once a year, listen to something, learn, and then you forget about it, or you know, 30% of people remember it and 70% pretty much forget most of the event and everything they learned in it and that rather than make it a community that people can constantly engage and grow together i think you mentioned a very good point about community because that's something that uh when i read you know i was reading up on the company that i was starting to think about why do you think nowadays especially like in the world today that community is such 
an important part of any business. You know, no matter what the business is, no matter what the industry, everyone I feel is trying to create some kind of community. But I'm curious to hear from you. Why do you think that is or why it's so important? Um, I think uh, one of the biggest my, my, uh, parts of it is that uh, concept of the hive mind. You know, it's uh, when you have a group of people, first of all, it creates a much uh, a larger energy that allows for whether it's growth, whether it's innovation, whether it's uh, simply uh, finding basic solutions. And uh, I think it also um, encourages uh, a lot of people, especially the introverts, which are most of the brilliant people that are introverts, struggle because they don't, there is no community for them because they don't, you know, it's a, it's a very extrovert thing to go out and find people. But uh, they, they are the ones that in a lot of ways require that energy without feeling like they need to force it to get involved because uh, when you think about everything, whether we do from basic education and learning to very complicated topics, it's always uh, the, the best uh, solutions for every topic you set up, whether it's innovating something new or solving a problem, it comes from a group of people being together and constantly engaging with each other, you know. And uh, I think a lot of the problems in this world will be solved if we just get different groups of people, put them in a room, create a small uh, group that eventually be turned into a community once all the basic conflicts start fading away. Uh, and we can, that's even the way that we're going to get rid of hate in this world, you know. And, and it's, uh, I think that's something that a lot more and more people are starting to realize. Yeah, so the importance of community. I think you mentioned a very good point about people that are introverted. They kind of, this gives them a place to go and to get that, I guess, networking experience. I guess that an extrovert might probably go do themselves, uh, like you said. Um, I noticed that one of the values, the company values that you guys had is that it's a not-for-profit. So I'm curious to hear why was that the decision? Well, um, you know, we had this conversation a lot when we started first. With the first, uh, we were, we had actually two more members that have left us since that were more about making this a uh, for-profit uh, organization. But um, my our first thought was we all have, you know, we all have our different careers and uh, things that we're mainly doing for our lives right now. And um, we noticed that what we want to do is actually create a, a better society and for us to for everybody to thrive in and uh, you can't really you know it's um people become skeptical when they have to when you say this is a community to help people but uh, the level of trust they will have to that community is much less when they're like oh you have to pay to get into this you know we want to offer a service that just we are just there to help people we're not trying to make money from this at the moment we're not even trying to live off of it. We're just uh, putting our time and our energy and our resources to build something that will allow especially younger professionals that are very lost, in, especially in Croatia, because it's a, a, a culture, a business culture that is, still has a lot of leftovers from communism to modernize into the, the modern world and to uh, create a better network for people to be able to... Uh, grow and to educate themselves without feeling that this is something forced. And also, if you remember in school, when you have something, they forced you to learn it, because especially because you paid for it and you feel like you have to learn because you paid for it, you're less likely to engage. That's very true. That's very true. Yeah, anytime something is forced on you, you're not really going to take in what that lesson is or what the information is trying to teach you as well, if it's not delivered to you in the right way or you know with the right message so you've been there now uh, about i think a year year and a bit so how's it been from when you joined to now like what has been the story what has been i don't know the growth or what are the changes you've seen in the company oh, um well about the the journey i mean it was uh, very interesting when we first started it was a uh, very high energy and everybody was very focused in it but uh we started hitting a few bumps, even though as as our community was is growing in the first five or six months, because our since we're all volunteers, uh, we didn't uh, have a, a 
a designer to help us with logo and everything. And uh, we found a few people and they were very helpful, but you know, all of them are very, very designers in general, are very busy. So we struggled for probably three or four months with finding a designer, which caused a lot of people to lose motivation. But uh, it has now it has moved on. We still don't have a, a designer in the team. We're still looking for one. So if you know anyone, we're more than happy to discuss it with them. But uh, but yeah, now it's actually just starting to fully pick up. Uh, we have a bunch of uh, different ideas we're going to start uh, implementing to increase numbers and engagement for uh, for the community. But it has been interesting to see different types of people come to the events and bring their friends. And uh, we've had from directors and CEOs of companies come to the events to, to basic workers, and cooks and waiters, and anybody. And it's been um interesting to get to know the different groups in the society and what things uh they prioritize about their personal growth and growth of their businesses and their companies yeah that sounds really interesting that you're getting all such a range of people you know coming to these events i wanted to ask you about uh so i know you guys hold events free events every wednesday right yeah every second wednesday of the month Ah, sorry, every second Wednesday of the month. So how have the, I know the last one was about innovation, uh, I read, uh, but each to- week seems to be about a different topic. So maybe you can walk me through the process of how do you pick what the topic's about and how's the like, how's your feedback been from the events and just, you know, how's that experience been for you? Um, well, we try to uh, go down a checklist of, uh, of ideas about what we think and what we feedback we've gotten from the community of things they're interested in. And then we generally try to find, at least for now, that we are, you know, at the beginning and still having gathered enough sponsors to be able to pay for uh, different speakers. Uh, we look for speakers that have the right experience and um, the right uh, background to come and discuss different topics. And we have had from people that are, uh, professors in college that are in uh, sociology and philosophy discuss about the philosophy of work and business and success to people that simply talk about managing a te- team or even being able to uh, sell your idea to your uh, employees or even your employer. And uh, it all comes down to what uh, we get back from the community uh, about what they want to hear about and also um, who we can find and match it to because at the moment it's very much uh, a game of finding the right person that is willing to come and give it you know spend two hours three hours of their time prepare and then present or have a workshop with with this group of people for free which is uh thankfully we've managed to do it on a monthly basis and we have now until I think September, October, we have events booked. And um, it is uh, it comes down to our events team. They are uh, absolutely um, great uh, people and they work their butts off to make sure we have the right speaker for the events and that's all. And how, when you're reaching out to these kind of people, because you mentioned, you know, to give two, three hours of their time and to, you know, create presentations relevant to the topic, how has the response been from the speakers themselves? Is it easy usually to get the speakers or is it a challenge or what are, and for them, do they get anything out of this or is it just, you know, to promote their, I guess, their story and their experience and share it with, uh, with the community? Um, that's very interesting. We have had, um, we have had a complete mixed bag. You know, we had some people that actually, uh, for example, one speaker actually introduced us to, some other speaker and told the speaker about us and they were more than happy to do it just to help the community. A lot of the people we have are either coaches or consultants that come and come do this and in return they get to promote their uh, their company and their work and uh, also a lot of them are people that uh, um, want to actually engage with the community because uh, I think 
once they hear about the, the, the project that we have, uh, they know that uh, we are um, we are one of the only organizations that has completely free and not for profit events, you know, and they see the value of that because, uh, well, you know, it in a way, in also at the same time, this being an old communist country that has that is now a, a capitalist country is uh, that sense of community still exists, you know, in a lot of ways. And uh, but we have had some speakers that actually we had to replace them because we struggled to offer them the um, the reward that they want they were hoping to achieve. You know, they wanted either a pay or uh, they wanted some special uh, promotional campaign. That at the moment we are unfortunately don't have the uh, resources, whether it's time or money, to to afford. And uh, but. You know, hopefully in the future we would like to get maybe bigger. We have uh, bigger speakers, maybe more. You know, at some point, my goal is that we could get someone like Elon Musk to come and ha ha and have a event. I, w I don't think that's impossible. You know, and it's um, I think bright people uh, are the bright people that are going to be our future are the ones that are willing to take a few hours of their their life and help. The younger people that are still lost and haven't found their paths in life and in their careers. Mm. So, out of all the events that you've done so far, number one, which topic or which event was the most successful in your opinion? And what's the average, I guess, turnout for these kind of events? Is it like fifty people, hundred, two hundred? Um. Well, uh, the numbers. A lot of them are. Uh, we we get around. 40. We've had up to 60, 70 people. We've had events with, we had an event with, I think, 12, 13 people. It was like the first day the winter hit and it was raining terribly and it was, it was I think, minus one or two and nobody really wanted to show up. Everybody that was supposed to show up messaged and said, you know, we can't get there. It's, we're not ready for this weather and stuff. And it was but so uh, I think the most successful event we had, they've all been successful in one way or another, but uh, the most successful event we had was a, we had an event about failure and uh, learning from failure and uh, turning, you know, the, the negative into a positive and uh, understanding, you know, getting different perspectives of of what failure can mean and how you can grow by failing. And I think, and unfortunately, I actually missed that event and I had to just watch the video back because I was uh, at my brother's wedding in Iran. But um, every single person that I talked to were very, very over overwhelmed with, uh, with the amount of information and the, they got in that workshop. And it was, I think that was around 45 50 people in that event and it was uh, yeah all in all I think that was probably the event people appreciated the most because a lot of these events you know they're things that are they, a lot of there's a lot of intangible value in all of them but some of them are much easier to just relate to you know uh, we all fail and to understand how to use that and not take it in that extreme negative way is something that a lot of people still don't understand and haven't learned so it's a very big step to even comprehend how to accept failure and how to you know learn from it and just move on yeah no i totally agree i think failure is something that everyone and anyone can relate to you know no matter what level part of life you're in what level of success you have you got to where you are there were definitely some failures along the way, but it's all part of the journey to make you the person you are today. So, you know, like you said, changing that mindset is super important and not taking it as such a negative thing. How was the um, how was the feedback uh, from has how sorry how has the feedback been from the community in general? Uh, are there the people that come to these events? Are you starting to see the same faces consistently, or is it you know a mix from time to time depending on the topic? Um, no, we have a, we have a group of people that are pretty much, um, you know, are uh, have become fully part of the community, and we see them at almost every event. 
um, we do get, um, I think every event around 25, 30% of the event are people that have, that are new, that come to check it out through different, you know, networks and seeing it online and they decide to check it out. And, but we get some people that come based on the topic, you know, we had, for example, uh, in this event that we had the last one, we had, uh, it was an, a webinar and we had, which gave us, of course, a bit a different um, reach to different people. We had people from, from Austria, from Germany, from Amsterdam, from California, uh, uh, signing in to see what's, you know, what's this about. But uh, in general, I think um, we have a healthy group of people that are uh, that attend every event, and uh, we are seeing people more and more different groups of people. You know, we started first from we switched from PMZG. It was mostly tech-based those events, so we had a lot of people, and our, both our sponsors are uh, are tech companies. So we had mostly programmers and and project managers coming to if uh, and coming to events and their teams coming to events and now we're getting more and more of people from different backgrounds coming which is a which is a you know a, a breath of fresh air really they bring a different perspective and we appreciate that a lot what do you think is the uh, from all the events you've done what do you think is the key to making a successful event what do you think because i guess the formula or like the factors that will determine how successful an event will be um, I think the biggest uh, and the most important aspects are the, the the topic and the how the speaker relates to the topic and their experiences and also uh, what how much of a good job we do getting the word out. I think that's the hardest thing because you know um, people live on their on their phones and on their laptops these days and. Uh, to get them to find value from a single post on because we haven't even released any like you know we had we have plans of maybe having video teasers of events and things like that but we haven't even done any of that because of course we don't have a designer and we don't have the crew for it yet but we have um, to get some someone to randomly to see this post on Facebook or on LinkedIn uh, and or Meetup and just think, oh, this has value for me to give an hour or maybe two hours of my life and my day after work to uh, learn something or to meet a bunch of uh, people is, uh, is, I think, the biggest challenge, you know, and um, we are trying to do it. It's... Um, you know, it's constantly a learning game for us. Every, I'd like to say every event that passes, everything till now has been a test event, you know, and I think we'll have a test event forever, even though we might get to having a couple of hundreds of people in the event, it's still a test event because you just constantly have to learn what you did wrong and what you can do better. Yeah, it's like a, each, each one, I think it's a great way to look at it. That is just a test and it's an evolution. I think eventually there will, you know, some type of formula will come up that you're like, okay, these are the main factors. But like you said, each event's going to be completely different. You mentioned earlier that back when you were in Dubai, you used to go to a lot of uh, TED Talks and meetups. So back in Amsterdam, there was a conference by this company called Mind Valley, mm-hmm. And... So I've watched all these TED Talks. I've watched all these, you know, events. And then I got it, like it came up as like a pop-up on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, okay, I know the company. I read the book, you know, mm-hmm. of the person who created the company. And I was like, should I go? I don't know. And then I told myself, like, I've never experienced, you know, these kind of events. So it'd be interesting to go just check it out. And so the whole event was uh, centered around like, you know, mindset and you know psychology and you know improving and you know it's interesting the people you meet at these events like i was probably one of the youngest guys there and i'm like 29 years old a lot of people were older and what i learned from that was that you think you know naturally we think you know the older you are the more i guess set in your ways you are or the more in quotation successful you are but it was interesting to see that no no matter what age 
background, race, you know, everyone has similar issues. Everyone has their own kind of things that they're dealing with. So I'm curious to hear from you. How was your experience going to those kind of events in Dubai? Uh, I mean, to me, it's, I don't know, you know, the whole uh, concept of these events, uh, a lot of times to me, uh, it has a big flaw in it. It's that um, the big uh, part of the event is always the speaker, you know, the speakers and the Q&A. And while that is interesting, I feel like a lot of them, it's hard to keep an audience engaged. You know, we had talks about uh, having, oh, maybe we should have an event that's for an hour and a half because a lot of speakers want to talk and talk and talk and, you know, have questions and then talk and talk and talk. But the, the truth is the audiences, you know, we are having less and less uh, spans of uh, spans of attention. You know, it's, uh, and it's, um, while, I don't know, you know, I mean, I don't understand, uh, for example, the, the events, I mean, okay, the once a year ones, when you get somebody that's special that comes to speak, that's different, but, uh, a lot of events that you go to, I feel like you lose the, you lose yourself halfway through it in why, how much you can engage because you just simply, your brain just doesn't want to hear it anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Like your attention is just not as into it. Yeah, exactly. It I mean, like, even if you push yourself to, it's just like in school, you know, after a few hours, I mean, why were we in school? It's just like, I need a break. And after the break, when you come back, you're just not the same you don't have that attention that you did before because you've been distracted a bunch. So it's better to get a short period in. And then, and then it's a, there's a lot of different topics that people simply dismiss in their head, I think, even if it's interesting, because the topic touches points that they're not ready to... Uh, I mean, I got, I got lost in, the, in in my mind. I'm sorry with your with, from your question, but it's um because it's um a lot of topics are much deeper than than an event, you know. And when you have just an event, and you somebody comes and talks and even has questions, or if it's a workshop, that doesn't solve that problem. That doesn't make the person grow in one goal. The person needs to constantly be engaged in short periods over time to start seeing that change you know i, I completely dismissed your question i'm sorry i, I my mind just went somewhere no. <laughs> don't worry about it no but i i kind of understand what you're talking about um because after going to that event for example like you mentioned the big flaw so most of it was speaking you know the speaker was speaking mm-hmm. about whatever the topic was and it was like a whole day thing we had like little breakout sessions where you could network with people but i think you made a very good point that these events are useful and i think it's good to go to them Mm -hmm. i I don't think it's an i don't think it's a negative yeah that's for for sure because i i think the biggest thing that i get or the way i see it is that you're just getting more awareness about certain topics about maybe yourself about Mm -hmm. maybe certain you know things that you have that you went to that event for to try to to find but i don't think it's going to give you answers Mm -hmm. it's going to give you just I think maybe some tools mm. for you to take home and make use of. And then it's down to you to, I guess, take what was spoken and take what the concept was and try to apply it, you know, for yourself. Mm. So what do you think, what do you think would make those kind of events more successful? Because I agree with you that there is some kind of flaw in them. What do you think is, would be better or more engaging for people? Um, I think, um, uh... I honestly think the concept of an event which has a, a speaker. Look, I've listened to, I have watched maybe 20,000 hours of of events, you know, whether it's online, whether it's watching uh, YouTube or Instagram Live or whatever an event is on with, from people from the tech industry, from Silicon Valley to angel investors to philosophers and all. What the biggest thing is that the engagement uh, in those events is, you know, when you when I watch it from home, I can pause it, I can go and get my mind in the right state and 
and reconnect to the topic. But when you go to an event, you're stuck, and especially when it's a paid event, it's um, in a way it's back to that square one of when you force it. You know, it's become after a point, it becomes forced. And um, okay, some people are very good at that. They can just sit down, take notes, listen for three hours, and not, you know, not flinch at all. And uh, but a lot of people will struggle with that and i think the only way to to fix that is either to spread it spread the topic in a few days and let people get short bursts of information or it is to have an event that's shorter and offer extra um extra content outside of that form because another thing is that we are used to um absorbing information from different types of content. And if we can watch, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, an event, and then we can have a basic, uh, I don't know, explanation video or that, uh, or maybe even a, some kind of a game that, that gets the point across. You know, there's a lot of games. I mean, even using Lego, for example, is, is used for helping uh, people in companies that do solutions or innovation. Uh, learn different new things so there's a lot of there's a lot of research on that that there is what can be used to help people uh, learn things and i think the problem with events is that we use that primary speech form which is not really the most uh, you know it's the one that you can get the most information out right away but it's not the one that's the easiest to absorb so I think we need to have a mix of content for the audience to actually fully learn and fully enlighten on the topic. I think you make a very good point that those about, you know, breaking it up maybe because you like you go to the event for that day. Let's say the topic is, I don't know, mental health. Let's say day one would just be specifically about meditation. So you get that little burst of information, then you can take it home and, you know, leave and internalize it and think about it and see how you feel about it. Give yourself time to absorb what was said instead of just getting, you know, bombarded with like information consistently. Because one thing that I've noticed for myself, and I think you, you're similar to me in this respect, um, that... You know, personal development, like you said, uh, I've watched just like you, God knows how many interviews, bro, and yeah. TED Talks and conferences. I've done it all, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I also learned that, like, okay, I do it, I get motivated, okay, I learn, but I also noticed that, okay, I'm learning a lot, but nothing's being applied. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. like, what's the, I'm just, I'm just gaining knowledge. I'm not taking what these people are saying and using mm -hmm. it to have the effect that I want it to have. So I think that's a really, really interesting point. Where do you think, or sorry, when did for you, your whole like journey with personal development start? When did you really start getting into it? And what's the reason you decided to get into it? Um, huh. Well, I think um, for me, it was uh, around four or five years ago, you know, when I when I had moved here, I had a, I had a time where I kind of felt, I mean, when I left Dubai was because I felt lost and I was trying to find who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, I, I got recommended a few books, for example, Solve for Happy was one of them, but, and uh, is a, um, I don't. It's it's by uh, Mogul Watt. If he's uh, he's an Egyptian man, who uh, uh, who I, I don't know if he still is. He was the the head of uh, Google X project, uh, and uh, it's um, those events like uh, um, I mean books like that. A few of those books really opened my eyes to what is important for us to. Um, for us to find who we are and uh, and then once i read that you know i started i've always been a bit of a, an odd egg let's say i was always thinking about things in a different way mainly because my dad was, was an entrepreneur and a, and a consultant and i saw constantly him doing that for different projects and yeah and uh, and as i watched 
uh, watched him, you know, working in projects and constantly trying to see things different perspectives. I started since then always trying to see things different perspectives, whether it's in sports and trying to see all sides. You know, when I watched the news since I was a kid, I was taught to not watch, I don't know, just one channel, but watch the same news in five, six different channels from different perspectives to try to get to the real story. And and I've done that and I've tried to look at everything in from that aspect for a very long time now. And the more I've read about, whether it's politics, whether it's uh, corporations, the stock market, whether it's healthcare, whatever it is, I started noticing that um, probably in my early 20s that uh, there's a lot of things we are not taught that are actually uh, essential for us to have a proper understanding of who we want to be and how the world works in every aspect. And that got me into trying to try to grow as a person as much as I can so I can actually even understand. You know, I read books about astrophysics to understand how all of those things work. And it's, um, it's a lot of reading, a lot of taking content that half the time is people would say is probably not very useful or maybe even useless, but it's all uh, just, you know, getting more and more of different perspectives about the world and every aspect of it, really. I th- I totally agree with you from the concept of, you know, just learning and growing and, you know, learning all these different things. And, you know, doesn't like you, for, for example, you mentioned you were reading astrophysics and, Okay, you're not an astrophysicist, but it's still interesting to, you know, learn something new, mm-hmm. get a new perspective, a new understanding about a topic that you probably never would have thought about. But like you said, it'll make you see the world or make you might make you see things from a different perspective and so on. Mm-hmm. So what do you when you decided to um go on like this whole personal development thing, uh, I know recently we've been talking about you know, helping people a lot. That's, you know, what I'm trying to do with this podcast. And, you know, we've been going back and forth mm-hmm. about that. So what made you decide or what made you start having the mindset that you just want to, you know, help people and, you know, share knowledge and, you know, help everyone, I guess, level up together? Um, I think uh, my journey with that uh, started maybe even as a teen when I was, um, I started when I was in school, I was skipping class. Don't do that, kids. But I was, uh, I started uh, coaching uh, kids when they were at their lunch break in, in football, you know, because everybody else was in class and I wasn't going to class because it didn't really interest me. And uh, and I noticed how I enjoyed that. And I thought for a long time, maybe I'll just become a teacher or something like that. And um, as I grew up and started doing different things, I noticed what um, satisfies me most and I, what motivates me most is uh, is really making a difference in people's life and maybe in society if possible, you know. And I uh, that's why the more time passed, you know, I got involved in uh, in this solutions. You know, I had job offers to do to work in corporations, and instead I chose to stay here and work to try to help people uh, find solutions for sanctions that are terrible and illegal, but whatever, that's the world we live in, and um, uh, try to help people, you know, at least be able to make, you know, run their farms well. And now the more time passed, the more uh, channels I found that I can hopefully help at least make, you know, one person's life better and you know, and I, it's it, the first of it begins with how you treat people in the street. You know, when you go to a supermarket, when you talk to the guy that's standing there or the girl and that's running barcodes and just to smile and say thank you to them and wish them a nice day, and you just start seeing how the little changes you can make in your life can help people. And I noticed that is what I want to do. That's why I'm involved in Hello Potential. That is why I'm hopefully working on opening a company that helps very little um, companies that produce eco-friendly products um, be able to sell their products and expand so we can have a healthier earth. 
Interesting. So you want to kind of, I think that's really interesting that you want to do that because you're kind of combining your experience with your you know, family business and agriculture and working in that industry with your passion for wanting to help people. So that's kind of how those two intersect. Is that kind of what you're thinking about? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I actually got involved with a couple of uh, uh, companies that produce uh, eco-friendly products in agriculture and uh, because they work with my family in agriculture. And, uh, and the more I got talking to them, I noticed the biggest problem a lot of those companies have is because unlike chemical companies and GMO companies, they are not run by business people. They are just, you know, either scientists or people involved in that industry that are just trying to live a healthier life and they have no idea how to market that how to even sell that idea to other people even though the idea can basically sell itself you know most people want to live a healthier life and and it made me think oh why not you know i mean it's not it's a risk worth taking if there's a small chance it'll make the life of a few people better and maybe change the path we're taking in the world to have a healthier planet and i mean the planet's going to be fine don't get me wrong we're the ones that are going to go extinct if we don't make a change but when you (laughs) see when you see the data that i have seen you know when you read and watch what the agriculture industry is and what the food industry in general is and how much chemicals and mistreatment of animals and of the plant and of the the earth with the most importantly the number the amount of arid land we have because of the use of decades or a century of chemicals has done to the to the earth is is really a scary thought you know we are going towards a direction that it's i don't want to say it's too late but we are slowly slowly going towards that direction and it's you know people say oh yeah you know but uh, we'll find a solution we have good science you know we'll live longer than we did yeah but what are we going to do when we have 10 billion population and we can't have the food that has the right nutrients to make those people, you know, because it's one thing to have people alive and people that they they get enough nutrients to develop the right brain and the right body to be able to be uh, efficient members and productive members of the, our society as, as, a, as a human uh, race. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point that you talk about how... I think a lot of us and a lot of people in general, we don't take into account how important like the quality of food is to us. And like you said, you know, if you're not growing products in the most, uh, I guess, the most, the best conditions or in the right way to get those full, you know, nutrients and full health benefits, then as people, we're going to get a lot of, you know, problems from a health perspective. So you're kind of like, it's going to be like a double-edged sword. We can't produce the right food. And then we're going to have a lot of health problems that we need to take care of after as well. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, this is all, uh, uh, it's all a systematic problem. You know, the reason organic food is so expensive is because so few people do it due to the fact that chemical products are so much cheaper at the moment in the mass in mass production but the truth is that the organic products aren't that much harder to produce it's just because no corporation is behind them at the moment which makes the production much less and then the supply and demand is what you know decides the price so once we produce more and more healthy products organic food will be cheaper than non-organic food and at the same time it will be it will have much higher nutritious value than what we're getting right now in in, in our supermarkets yeah no but i think you make a very good point that there is no big corporation behind it and it is a supply and demand based thing Mm -hmm. but i also think that it's probably not been backed by a big company because that's gonna go against their best interest which it which is you know profit and you know mass production and volume because like you said organic it might not be as difficult to do but in terms of volume and if you want to uh like you want to create it the right way and stuff it's probably gonna take a lot more time and that's mm-hmm. probably time that they think oh we could have been selling another million i don't know apples in that time if we had just you know gone down the other route yeah, I mean, because they're all very 
uh, it's very short-sighted planning. You know, it's um, when you consider the amount of uh, land that is now unusable almost in agriculture because of the amount of chemicals used, then you'll see that in 10, 20 years, we're going to reach a point where even if it has taken more time to create organic food, the lands that they, they use for with chemical products, they prepare with chemical products, will not be usable for us. You know, and then what's going to happen? Then we're not going to actually be able to produce uh, on those lands, and that's just going to create an even bigger issue. But the companies all think about their one-year, two-year, five-year plan maximum. And at the same time, a lot of them are interconnected with pharmaceutical companies. And the more problem health problems, they're all connected to that side. And the the whole idea in the system right now is we create this product. It's very large quantity of low-nutrient food. And people get sick. Oh, all right. They'll have to spend money from the to buy the medicine to heal from the problem that they shouldn't have had in the first place, you know. It's a lot easier to, uh, it's more profitable for me to treat you from like a cure than to prevent this from happening. in the Exactly. Place. Yeah. I know that's something that uh, I've heard that, you know, argument as well before. So it's interesting that you brought up, but like you said, it's all linked, man. Everything, there's so many things that are linked in the world now, especially today. And we don't really know what all the answers are. So I don't know. I just try to focus myself personally on things that I, I, you know, can control and yeah. trying to think about all these other things because it's just i don't know man i don't know i don't have any answers and i don't know what to think about it so it's interesting how people think yeah i mean i think we talked a few days ago about sorry i think we talked a few days ago about how we can just do the best we can and try to help you know even one person at a time until we create a change you know it's uh it's i think that's the only thing we can do we're not big enough or rich enough to be able to make massive changes. I mean, when you see Bill Gates spending that much money trying to create a, you know, a movement to help mm. the, a whole continent and, and he is not, I mean, he's doing all right, but he's not still creating a massive change yet. You notice that there is a, there is a lot of money going in the opposite direction which, you know, we can't compete with as long as we can't, and you know, that's the whole point of such a like podcast that you have like or hello potential that we have is that it's as long as the mindset of the average person is not to create a better world and to create a better person from themselves we cannot create a change in the world you know the corporations are still going to run everything by that till then no i totally agree man i was actually speaking to one of my ex-co-workers and what he does is he works with, uh, he's like in the tech field. So he works with different companies, you know, and from a product perspective, but he's also a coach on the side. And like what he does um, is he tries to teach companies how to become or how to think from a more human centric uh, uh, like perspective and, you know, how to make personal development programs like super important and try to engage, you know, um, open and honest communication between people because, um, that's the only way I think you're going to be able to change people's mindsets, you know, in the long term. I think it always has to start with some kind of conversation, mm -hmm. but also it's important to realize or understand how do these people see things? Because if I just come to you and start saying, oh, you should do this and be, you know, person development and think this way. If I don't understand why you think the way you do or your reasons behind that, that's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I learned from my course was I did a like uh, NLP course. Uh, and one of the things I learned from it, and it really like resonated with me, is that, you know, a lot of people say things like, oh, I want to change. I want this. I want that. But I realized a lot of people are not also willing to change. You know what I mean? Yeah. It sounds great that, yeah, I want to do this, do that. But if you don't have the willingness to do it, then, you know, it's kind of pointless in the end. What do you think? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think a lot of people uh, still don't see the value in changing their mindsets and everything. And I think um, I think that's one of the mistakes, a big mistakes that um, the whole industry of, of, I don't know, of coaching and everything does is, a lot of times they talk about 
uh, the individual and they don't really uh, try to resonate with the person in a bigger view. You know, it's one thing to tell the person, oh, you'll be better. And they're like, great, you know, I want to be better. But then when you tell them, look, your decisions now will affect your children, will affect your family, will affect people you care about, is, um, I think that's a much more important thing to teach people is that, you know, we are constantly being uh, controlled in this mind, individualistic mindset that we do this for me. And I think that's the first thing where we have gone wrong completely as a society in general is everything is about me, me. I want this. I want this, you know. And mm-hmm. and as long as we don't try to get to people to understand, look, you're not right now, you're not staying home because of you. You're staying home because of your neighbor, because of your grandparents, because you want to uh, help that healthcare worker that is working uh, his, you know, his butt off to make sure people are healthy, to not be overwhelmed with number of patients. This is all of the issues that we have created ourselves as someone as, as someone that studied and worked in marketing. This is what we have created because we have cre- we've pushed and pushed uh, to create this individualistic consumerism, and now it's reached to a point where people really don't even care what they do for society because nobody tells them you can help everybody you know you when you go to protest it's like that's the first step of it when people go to protest they notice oh all these other people are also unhappy with something it's not a one person thing and as long as we don't tell people do this for yourself, but also for your family, for future generations, for your neighbor, for your doctor. It's, you know, it's as simple as that. And that's why I say, you know, say thank you to anyone that does anything for you. When you see someone, doesn't matter, old, young, they said that before, they used to say old people or, I don't know, women in the way back in the day or, I mean, even till today, I guess, to hold the door open for them. Hold the door open for anybody. Say thank you to people. Smile when you see people because that's what society is supposed to be. That's why in villages they are happier than people in cities because they're a small community that everybody actually knows everybody. And even if they, a lot of them talk behind each other's back or whatever, they still, you know, if one child goes missing, the whole village goes look for it. Whereas you can see a child running down the street in big cities and nobody will actually stop it unless it's some police officer or something. It's mm. it's insanity where we're going towards where nobody cares about anybody but themselves, you know. Yeah, uh, it sounds like what you're saying is that we've created a mindset or a culture that success is very individualistic and not like community based. You know, what yes. I, mean? I have to think about only me and do what I need to do to make myself myself successful, irregardless of that outcome or the effect that could have on other people yeah yeah and that's the biggest issue you see everywhere right when you see uh, the treatment of let's say refugees or when you see the the treatment of minorities in places and or the working class or and it's all that mindset causing it that prejudice of i succeeded you didn't so you're beneath me and those uh those that's just an example of a lot of those, you know, situations that are exist all over the world. And and that is the basic of it comes down to we need to grow, but we need to grow as a community. You know, we can't just forget some people because, you know, when you get a disease, the disease doesn't know what social class you are. As you see right yeah. now, you can be the richest yeah, person, exactly. you can get, you know, a disease and die. And that comes down to the fact that you might have achieved more because of whether it's hard work or luck or, or I don't know, past uh, investment or what you inherited and everything. But it still comes down to if your society isn't healthy and isn't growing, what is the point? You can have all the money in the world. At what point is that 
worth more than the community being stronger and happier and healthier. I mean, it's quite the the the, the maybe negative uh, view of it, but the problem is, I think a lot of people don't hear that to understand why we need to be optimistic about the future while trying to constantly help ourselves become better and help others become better. I resonate so much with what you're saying. It's crazy. I really that's why I really wanted to I really wanted to talk to you and see Cheers. get your perspective on all of this. Um man, oof, I think uh <laughs> we, I think we spoke time. about a lot today. We went deep. We went deep yeah. today. It was I really I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh what I like to do at the end of each episode is just, you know, ask you what are some last few words of advice that you know people can take home from this? Uh, oh, well, first I want to say thank you to you. Um, and I uh, hope everybody listens to your podcast. I've listened to three, I think two or three of them, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed them. I'm going to listen to the rest as well. And uh, I Appreciate would just like to, I don't know, I just hope people treat each other with absolute respect and remember that we all face problems and that doesn't mean that there is no solutions that doesn't mean that you cannot still put a smile on your face and remember that you are better off than a lot of people in this world and a lot of us complain about first world problems where there is people struggling for basic things and we need to be grateful and we need to share what we have, at least the energy that we can share with other people to make everybody's day at least a little bit better. And hopefully we can achieve a better future together. That's beautiful, man. I fucking love that. I think that's perfect. I totally agree with you. And I think, like you said, gratitude and appreciation, you know, something so small can have such a big impact on someone else's life. Absolutely. I totally agree. Thanks so much again, man. Uh, you, Gordon, man. I really appreciate it, guys. Anyone listening, uh, check out Hello Potential. They've got some really interesting stuff, uh, lots of topics, lots of things all about you know personal development and improvement and business. So check them out. And thank you to everyone for listening. And as always, guys, hope it helps. Peace.